episode 16, and today we're talking about leading with stories. Uh, it's something that I've been waiting to do for a long time, and I finally had the opportunity to do it uh, where nothing has jumped out at me during the week except the opportunity to do this one specifically. Uh, and it's kind of a little bit of a special edition, too. I'm going to try to do something a little new later where I'm going to interject some audio from a lecture from the person that actually inspired this topic. And then also, we're going into the 4th of July weekend, so Independence Day coming up here soon. So the history segment I want to go over today is just going to be the Navy and the American Revolution. And I'm going to go through a brief history of what actually happened during the American Revolution as far as naval significance since technically we didn't quite have a Navy at the time. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from something from the Navy History and Heritage Command uh, on that topic. So despite the success of the fledgling Continental Navy during the American Revolution, the ending of the war was actually brought an end to our nation's first Navy. A few months after the British defeat at the Battle of Yorktown on October 19, 1781, the British Parliament made its first overtures to the United States to begin peace talks following sp- that following spring. Nearly a year later, the Confederation Congress issued a proclamation on April 11, in 1783, declaring the cessation of arms against Great Britain, which had passed a similar proclamation February 4, 1783. It was an incredible victory for an upstart nation with no navy against the power of Great Britain and the fleet of the Royal Navy. From the literals, lakes, and the sea to coastal towns from the north to the south, the young republics hastily pieced together an inexperienced continental navy was mostly made up of private vessels carrying their letter of mark, which granted privateers the authority to attack foreign ships. Though most of their actions aren't well known, they played a pivotal role in naval operations and showed the importance and need for vessels to challenge the British and their ships of the line. On May 14, 1775, in the waters of Buzzard Bay off the coast of Fairhaven, Massachusetts, one of the first naval battles was fought just 25 days after the Battle of Lexington and Concord. It began what is often considered today a lost chapter of the Navy's history. Aboard the sloop Success, commanded by Captain Nathaniel Pope and Captain Daniels Eggery, a small force of men from the town of Fairhaven captured two British sloops and their crews. In mid-June, moving north, we come to the port of Machias, Maine, then part of northern Massachusetts. Local towns were experienced firsthand harassment by the British, so, like in Fairhaven, they took matters into their own hands. Local Captain Jeremiah O'Brien and an armed crew aboard the sloop Unity, joined by other ships, attacked and captured schooner HMS Margareta. O'Brien went on to actively engage enemy ships that posed threats to the Massachusetts coast during the war. That was followed in August when the townspeople of Gloucester, Massachusetts, upon their militia to capture British seamen attempting to seize a grounded American merchant and then recapture another merchant schooner. These first battles sparked a level of confidence among the townspeople and seafaring communities that they could challenge and overcome the British as they seized American merchant ships of commerce and harassed local communities up and down the eastern seaboard. And it finally convinced the leaders of our developing nation that they needed to combat the vulnerability of the coastal seafaring communities to British waterborne assault. It was October of 1775 when the Continental Congress authorized the building of our nation's first navy. They selected a commander for the Continental Navy, Isaac Hopkins, and commissioned 18 naval officers, established two marine battalions, and even established pay and subsistence standards, authorized prize monies for the capture and sale of enemy warships, adopted a naval code of discipline drafted by John Adams, and formed an administrative body, the Marine Committee, to give guidance and direction to our new Navy. 
It was a bold signal by America's early leaders that they were willing to challenge Great Britain on the high seas. Commodore Hopkins was responsible for one of the early American naval victories when his squadron traveled south to the Bahamas in February of 1776. Along with a battalion of Marines, the Hopkins-led squadron launched an amphibious landing on March 3rd and raided the British colony of Nassau for military supplies that would benefit the Continental Army. Another American legend, Captain John Barry, was doing his part protecting merchant ships as they brought supplies into the port cities of Philadelphia and Delaware Bay. In June of 1776, as the American brig Nancy, loaded with her cargo of weapons and supplies intended for the Continental Army, moved closer to Cape May, New Jersey, two British ships were seen in pursuit of the brig. Barry, aboard his frigate Lexington and his companion schooner Wasp, were called to engage the two ships. Heavy fog caused Nancy to sail into the delightfully named Turtle Gut Inlet. Barry and his men boarded and successfully unloaded her cargo while manning and engaging the British who had heavily damaged the ship. In a daunting gamble, Barry abandoned the Nancy, lowered her flag, but not before leaving 50 pounds of gunpowder wrapped in the mainsail, leading to the powder hold below deck. As the British closed in, the fuse reached the hold and the explosion could be heard for miles. Barry, his ships, and crew safely eluded the British and claimed both the victory and much-needed supplies. While those battles were mostly in American waters, another legendary Continental Navy captain was making a name for himself a bit closer to the motherland. Captain John Paul Jones, as the commanding officer of the Sloop of War Ranger, battled the HMS Drake for an hour, claiming victory on April 24, 1778 in the North Channel off Ireland. Then more than a year later... On September 23, 1779, as commanding officer of the 42-gun former merchant ship Bonham Richard, Jones uttered his famous cry, I have not yet begun to fight, as his crippled ship fought the larger 50-gun HMS Serapis in the waters off Flamborough Head. Despite his sinking and burning of the ship, Jones refused to strike his colors. A well-timed grenade landed near ammunition on Serapis, and its ensuing explosion allowed Jones to get the upper hand and board the British ship upon their surrender. The captain who struck his colors that day was British. The Bonham Richard, however, sank the following day. So what revolutionary naval battle was the most important? The records and many historians might say it was the Battle of Nassau, the first victory of the newly formed Continental Navy. That mission brought much-needed ammunition and gunpowder to the American Army. However, your examination of history answers that question. It was on this date, 232 years ago, that after eight years of skirmishes, smaller battles, and outright war on land and sea, Congress declared hostilities against its former motherland over. A few months later, on September 3rd, 1783, the signing of the Treaty of Paris by members of the negotiating team brought an end to the American War of Independence. That treaty was ratified by Congress on January 14th, 1784. What the British could not accomplish in war, peace did. The U.S. Navy which was disbanded after the war, leaving the new nation without a navy until March 27, 1794, when President George Washington signed the Naval Act of 1794, authorizing the construction of six frigates. Okay, so that's a little bit of history on uh, the Navy during the Revolutionary War, which kind of really wasn't a navy. It was kind of a haphazard thing put together of people on board ships, much like the Army was put together with militias and just citizens that took up arms to to throw off the tyrannical government of the British Empire. So a uh, little bit of history since we're going in Independence Day, I figured it would be a fun thing to talk about and just give a quick uh, overview of some of the things that happened during the Revolutionary War. 
Uh, so before we get into the topic, just like always, I want to kind of put it out there. If you guys need anything from us, you got any questions, you got any topic recommendations, you got anything at all, uh, hit us up on Facebook Messenger. You can also apparently uh, DM people on Instagram, which I didn't know. And we've got an Instagram uh, account. Uh, it's at DGuts Podcast. So you can hit us up there. Or you can send us an email at don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. So if you got anything for us, hit us up. And so like I talked about before, what we're going to talk about today is leading with stories. And leading with stories is something I've done for a long time, but I never really recognized it or, or kind of put it together in my mind until I encountered a mentor of mine that had mastered it. And this was a command master chief I had talked about previously where he did a lot with history and heritage um, and it, his own experiences. And, and others do it through telling stories that relate to a topic or more to more effectively communicate a point. These stories are wildly successful in a person grasping and retaining the point that you're trying to communicate to them. Uh, and so I think it's really important that junior sailors recognize the power of storytelling, uh, especially junior level leaders in inspiring their charges to follow them and, and to do whatever they're trying to get them to do or to just inspire them to do great things for themselves and to progress and, and get to where they want to be uh, in the Navy and in life. Uh, and so when we're trying to get somebody to do something or when we're even training somebody on a topic or trying to communicate any kind of a point, uh, no one really remembers the humdrum lecture or the PowerPoint slides, um, but they may remember what you said if it was powerful and informative and well articulated, but I guarantee they will remember a story. I remember them every single time somebody has hit me with something really powerful that struck a chord. And whether it's you using someone else's story to best articulate the point or relating your own experiences in the form of a story, this is what people are going to remember about what you talked about. They're not going to remember the PowerPoint slides. They're not going to remember some handout or outline or whatever. They're going to remember the story you told them or the experience you related or however you communicated it in that way to strike that chord with them. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And one of the first things I want to do is, is kind of bring up where I got this from. This is not an original concept uh, in general, but what really put it together was for, for me is I got the opportunity to hear Colonel Art Athens, uh, he's United States Marine Corps retired, speak while I was attending the Senior Enlisted Academy in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, and he's currently the director of the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. And after hearing his lecture on leading with stories, it brought everything full circle. So that at the beginning, when I mentioned that it was something I'd, I'd done for a while, and then I realized how effective it was when that command master chief did it in the way that he did it. But then to have it explained in this way is what really made it click and what really made me understand fully the impact that this could have and is the reason that I wanted to do this topic and share this with other people. Uh, it was something that I'd done and it made sense, but I, I didn't understand it on the same level as I can. And I think that you can so that you can leverage this concept after hearing him speak. And so one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to play a clip from his lecture. Uh, and, and then I'll also post a full video on the website if you want to check it out. And then I highly recommend just searching Colonel Art Athens on YouTube. There's a lot of lectures he's done available on there and he's a really great speaker and has a lot of really great things to offer. So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, and so with that, I'm going to get into the snippet from the lecture and then we'll come back and talk about it. I thought about you in leadership development. I was thinking about someone that was actually mentioned in the panels yesterday, a gentleman by the name of John Gardner. John Gardner is a hero of mine, someone who has always been committed to developing young leaders. He was a Republican, yet he signed up under Lyndon Johnson to become the Secretary of Health, Education and Welfare. 
He founded Common Cause, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that really looks at how government is operating and a bit of a watchdog. But John Gardner, his greatest passion was the leadership development of young people. And I remember he once said, comparing today to a long time ago, he said in a sparsely populated set of colonies that had a population of about 2.5 million people, we were able to produce the likes of Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Hamilton, Franklin, the list goes on. And then he would say, with our current population, we should have a hundred times the number of those kinds of extraordinary leaders. He said, but we don't. And then he said, but we could. That's vision. And you're part of that vision. You, you have the opportunity to be those future Washington, Jefferson, Adams, and so many who have impacted the world. Hold that vision as you leave this place. Now, that's been the main topic for the last couple of days is vision in uncharted waters. I'd like to tackle one aspect of vision that's been alluded to over the last couple of days. It's been modeled by some of the speakers and panelists, but we haven't directly touched on it. And I wanna do that this morning. And I, I think it's an aspect of vision that is the key to go from vision to action, from vision to execution, from vision to victory. It's really the key. And to look at this aspect, I'd like to look at a measurement a measurement of four feet, eight and a half inches. Four feet, eight and a half inches. Now, what is that? Well, what it actually is, is the railroad gauge in the United States. It's the distance between the two rails on any system anywhere in the United States. If you measured it from one rail to the other, it would be four feet, eight and a half inches. Sounds like an odd number. So the question is, why four feet, eight and a half inches? Well, the reason is because the British rail system has a gauge of four feet, eight and a half inches. And the people who built primarily the United States railway system, who supervised, were from Britain. Well, why does Britain have a four feet, eight and a half inch rail gauge? Well, the reason is, it's because the people who built the British railway system built the tramways in England and they were the same people who built the railway. So why is the tramway rail gauge in Britain that predecessed those railroads four feet, eight and a half inches? Well, the reason for that is the people who bought the, brought the tramways into existence, they used the same tools and devices that the people who built the wagons in England did. They just used the same tools and they were already set at four feet, eight and a half inches, so they took the wagon makers and use that for the tramway system that then used it for the railroad, railroad system. Well, why did the wagon people do four feet, eight and a half inches? And the reason was you had to have a wagon that had that spread on your wheels if you were gonna survive the ruts that were in the roads all over Britain and all over Europe. Well, why were there ruts that were four feet, eight and a half inches wide? Well, the reason is because the Romans built the road system in Europe and they had chariots that caused those ruts to be formed over the years 
that eventually would lead to everything else. But why were those ruts four feet, eight and a half inches? And the reason was that was the width of the chariot wheels of a standard Roman chariot. But how did they get four feet, eight and a half inches? Well, they got that because at one point in time in history, the decision was made to make a standard chariot for the Roman Empire. And they pulled in two average size war horses. They got on the back side of those horses, measured the distance and kicked it out just a little bit because the wheels would have to be outside those horses. And that distance just happened to be four feet, eight and a half inches. So when you look at the railroad system of the United States, you go, why is it four feet, eight and a half inches? It's because of the backside of two war horses of the Roman Empire. Now that's a story. What does that have to do with vision? Well, it has everything to do with vision. If the vision for your unit or your organization or your school is to challenge assumptions, to think out of the box, to ask the question, well, you say we always have done it that way. Who says we have to do it that way? Now, you can develop a PowerPoint presentation that has lists of bullets, even if you use big graphics and big fonts. You can have your PowerPoint and your listing of your vision. Or you could tell that story. I guarantee you that you will never look at a railroad track again the same way because it will be inside of your mind even if you try to put it out. If I put a PowerPoint up and say our main vision is to make sure we challenge assumptions, think out of the box, and ask the question why do we always do it that way, you would not remember it. It's how we're wired. We're wired for stories. If we are going to make vision into action, into execution, into victory, we need to be able to tell stories. And we need to connect those stories to our vision so people can see it. So the software of the mind is programmed towards where we want people to head. All right, so that was uh, just a snippet, a couple minutes from the lecture I was talking about from, from Colonel Athens. And I really encourage you guys to check those out and listen to the whole thing. I kind of want to let it keep playing, but it would it's like an hour-long lecture. Uh, so check those out. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is leading with stories. And so I'm just going to jump right in as kind of giving some examples of the different types of stories you can use. So Colonel Athens used um, that story about the railroad system uh, in the United States and, and kind of working its way back through the history of it. And that's just like a random story that he picked up somewhere uh, through research or experience or maybe somebody told him about it. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is just history and heritage in general because this is the one that that command master chief used to use with me that struck a chord with me and made me actually understand why history and heritage was important. I've always been the, a bit of a history nerd and I've just been interested in it, but I never understood its value in leadership and communicating things I needed to and then inspiring my charges to follow me until he showed it to me, until he, through his storytelling and through his passion about history and then his telling of those stories, how... I could use that to inspire people to follow me and I could use that to inspire an organization to move towards a common goal. And so one of the reasons that I care so much about it and think it's so interesting is because of those stories. And I constantly re relate those stories 
uh, about the Navy and about the rate uh, to inspire the charges that I have to follow me. And it works especially well when you relate it to something that someone has a personal interest in. Uh, So what I mean by that is something like your rate or your warfare community. Each individual that's in a specific rating or in a specific warfare community is going to have a personal stock in that because they're part of it. It's part of their story. So I've and I've mentioned before that I, I use the heritage of my rating to stress the importance of what we do for a living. So as cooks, we already are fighting an uphill battle. Like people tell us all the time that just because we're cooks, we can't do something. And so telling them stories about our heroes, like William Pinckney and Dory Miller and Jacob Wasby, get not just my students and, and junior sailors inspired, but my staff members as well. It gets it gets senior culinary specialists inspired because not much of these stories are known uh, very widely outside of Dory Miller, uh, which is a reason they're so effective. Taking the time to learn your ratings history, it's its so easy and it's important to you and to them due to the personal stake that you have in it. And it is a tremendous motivator when you utilize it correctly. It's something that is going to strike a personal chord with them uh, and it's going to immediately be a motivator for them when you take advantage of that concept. So history is one of the big ones that I feel is very, very underutilized and I have personally had a lot of success uh, utilizing. And then personal experiences is probably the most commonly uh, used version of storytelling. And it can also be key in places that one person can't normally unlock. And so what I mean by that is uh, I went through an experience, probably this was five, six years ago, where uh, I was married and my now ex-wife was unfaithful. She cheated on me. Okay. Uh, And so I relayed this to my chain of command. I mean, I was a hot mess. I was falling apart. My personal life just exploded. Uh, and it obviously was affecting my work environment. I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate some some version of this. Uh, you can relate to it. And so when I I'm, I immediately went to my uh, chief of the boat, so my my CMC, and let him know what was going on. Told him I needed to take some leave just so I could get get it together and and kind of deal with the emotional piece and and kind of I don't know put the pieces together a little bit uh, so that I could function at work. And uh, he, me not knowing this at the time, I was a first class, he uh, reached out to a chief on board the ship. And, and this chief, uh, he was an EMC, maybe said two words to me the whole time I was on board. And he was always this very gruff, serious looking guy, very intimidating at the time. Uh, I, you know, almost go as far as to say I was scared of the guy. And he found me right when I got back from leave and pulled me aside and just said, you know, CS1, I've, you know, if you need anything, let me know, come find me if you want to talk about it. I've been through a very similar experience uh, and I can relate and I've been there. So you're not alone. And if you need anything, come, come talk to me. And I ended up, I ended up going to talk to him once, but just the fact that he reached out to me, it made a big impact on me. Just the people were there for me, that he was there for me, which I thought was strange because he was that guy previously where I was very intimidated by him, didn't have a pre-existing relationship with him uh, outside of him just being uh, one of the chiefs on the ship. Um, and then it kind of blew my mind that the way the later on, though, my understanding of how the chief's mess works, I thought that was pretty incredible that he was the one that could get through to me. He was the one with the personal experience with it. So there's a lot of people that were there for me during that time, but him having that personal experience and understanding exactly where I was at that time, being able to talk to somebody like that with that experience helped a lot. And so he was the person that could get through to me and we didn't have a pre-existing relationship and he, you wouldn't think uh, he was somebody that would be the one that would be able to lead me out of that place. But because we had that link and because we had that common experience, 
uh, he was probably the only person that would be able to speak to me in that way. And so that was huge. And so to understand that your personal experiences have that kind of value to people are pretty incredible. Any kind of personal experiences you have, and this could be your background and frame of reference, how you grew up, where you're from, religion, uh, any kind of experiences where you've gone through it and you can relate to it and you understand it, um, using those experiences to relate to people, uh, even if you're from very, very different backgrounds and places, but you have one common linked experience, you might be the only person that can get through to them because you have that. It's like a key that unlocks a lock. Like he, you might not have been able to get through to them before, but when something goes awry like this uh, and you're, you have that experience, you might be the only person that can get through to them and they might have no idea that you have that personal experience. So use that, use that to take care of your junior sailors because it's a very, very valuable thing. Uh, and I actually had the opportunity recently to pay it forward where a previous student of mine went through a very similar experience. And because I had gone through it, uh, I got to kind of pass some of those things on that, that EMC did for me, uh, which was very, very fulfilling for me to be able to do that uh, and take care of her and kind of talk her through it a little bit. Um, you know, and I mean, I didn't, didn't do a ton, but I, I just knowing that someone's there that has gone through that experience, that understands exactly where she is in that moment. It's huge to know that you, just to know you have that resource. Even if you even if you don't spend just countless hours talking about that thing with that person, it's huge to just know it's there. So understand the impact you can have, especially on people that you might not have a pre-existing relationship with based on personal experiences and the stories that go along with those. And then the last one that I want to talk about is just find stories. So the the story that Colonel Athens just told, that's not a personal experience of his besides that he may have just researched that topic, but just any stories. You can pass on things like some I mean some of the best stories are are fiction or parables or bible verses or mythology or or whatever. And there's so many options. There's so many stories that you can use. Uh, read them, listen to them through through podcasts or, or radio or, or movies or YouTube videos or whatever, and then relay those stories. That's how knowledge used to be passed on. Uh, we're programmed to learn this way, just like Colonel Athens was saying, and it's how we retain it and relate information the most effectively. You're not going to remember learning objectives on a PowerPoint about nothing. You're going to never look at train tracks the same way again either though because that story the power of this medium is is just limitless and there's no end to the number of stories you can utilize to inspire your charges to follow so go out and find these stories and you may already have a lot of them uh if you're a voracious reader and, and you've already done that you might already have stories like that that you can use and you just didn't realize um, how effective this medium can be but go find stories that you can use um, whether they're history, whether they're your own personal experiences, or they're just stories out there that you can use to more effectively communicate the point instead of just do this because I said so, or it's the policy, or putting you know learning objectives on a PowerPoint slide, or, or making them read some dry reference, or whatever the case may be. Uh, storytelling is what is going to make them understand the whys of it and inspire them to actually do it and remember the lesson that you're trying to communicate. There's one last piece I want to hit on this because I feel like this whole concept that we've just spent all this time talking about can go off the rails and it does sometimes. And what I want to talk about is direction. 
And so for me, the last piece of this is ensuring that there is a direction and clarity to where you're going with this. Like I'm sure many of us have been cornered by someone that just simply loves to hear themselves talk. They love to just drone on and tell you what they think are really interesting stories. Uh, And sometimes they're just about anything or nothing. Uh, They tell stories that are barely related to anything going on in your shop, on the ship, in your uh, mission that you're trying to accomplish or in life in general. Uh, for you to the point of you zoning out or getting extremely annoyed with this person. So I'm cautioning you, take the time to plan where you're going to go with this. Uh, Make sure the story relates to where you want to go and and what you're trying to accomplish and the point you're trying to communicate. Because each sailor is in their own unique place. Each one receives information differently. Each one's motivated differently. So apply this concept judiciously. Have a plan going in. Uh, otherwise, you're going to lose them. You don't don't sit there droning on for hours at a time. And, and I'm guilty of it sometimes where I get passionate and I catch myself talking in circles sometimes like where I, on, the, on this podcast where I got to stop myself because I'm just droning on when we get to the closings. And, and I start repeating myself because I really want to get my point across. So just be very cautious uh, in where you're going with this and just have a plan and know what you're trying to communicate. And that's the more you research these stories, the more you'll more tools you'll have available to you uh, where you can kind of pick the one that's most appropriate. And when you practice the delivery, it's going to be practiced and it's going to be very effective. That video that you just listened to, uh, it was I was playing a video, but you heard the audio of Colonel Athens. He's he's done that speech a hundred times at least like so he that story that he delivered he's practiced and he talked about that when he did his uh, speech at SEA that he finds a story and then he practices the delivery of it so that it's he doesn't fumble it because if you don't deliver the story correctly you're not going to get your message across Um, so he practiced it had a plan going in he knows exactly what he's trying to communicate when he does it and so that's why that particular story that he picked it, it fits the moment it fits the message and he delivers it very well so that you don't lose the people you're delivering it to. Uh, so have a plan. Uh, and that's all I got today. So it's conclusion time. Uh, I'm glad we got to finally hit this topic up. It was something that I really wanted to kind of get Colonel Athens' message out there because I thought it was so effective. Uh, and so we talked about leading with stories from the perspective of, of Colonel Art Athens. Check his videos out. I'm really, I'm just going to keep plugging those. They're really great. And so we talked about leading with stories. And then we talked about the different types of stories that work. All right, history and heritage is a big one. Uh, it's why I do the history segments. And then I, I consistently use it in my daily life and have had a lot of success with the students that are at our A school and even with the, the instructors that work here as well. Uh, and then personal experiences that you've had to relate to people that other pe- other leaders may not be able to get through to. And then other stories, just any stories, like the one that uh, Colonel Athens told about the train tracks. And then have a sense of direction when you're using those stories to inspire your followers. Okay, uh, It's very important for me and for you uh, to recognize the power storytelling has in inspiring your charges to follow you and to accomplish the mission. And so telling these stories to get a point across is a concept that I love using. I would would really love for everyone else to be aware of how great it is and and relating a point through this method is something I've seen work time and time again and I use all the time uh, to great effect. So when I take the time to explain to them 
the point and then use the story to provide understanding like you literally see the understanding wash over them like you see the clarity in their eyes and the retention is you see it happening you see them retaining the information and then i've seen the flip side of it as i'm sure you have of briefing a powerpoint presentation uh whether you're briefing it or you're experiencing it on the on the other end and you can (laughs) you can see the moment where you lose them or you can feel the moment where you just clocked out about five minutes in when their face and eyes just glaze over. Uh, so I implore you to take this risk. Go outside your comfort zone if this is outside of it uh, and try this out. Try storytelling as a leadership tool. Try it as a delivery method of whatever you're trying to get across. Use heritage, use your experiences and inspire your charges. Don't tell them just what to do. Uh, tell them why to do it. Uh, inspire them to do it. It's incredible what you can accomplish when you do this, uh, when you take the time to make them understand why it's important. And you can communicate that through stories. And you got to teach them the lessons instead of just dictating to them so that they're inspired to follow you and so that they develop into the leaders that are going to relieve you at the end of the day because we all have a shelf life. Uh, So that's all I've got for this week. That was it for episode 16 for Leading with Stories. Uh, Very excited that we got this one out there. I'm probably going to try to do more if this works out and get some positive feedback with uh, interjecting people that are smarter than me, like Colonel Athens, uh, and to get you guys some exposure to some of these other great leaders that are out there that can give you some of this information and communicate other methods for you to be successful as junior level leaders. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a really amazing 4th of July weekend. Uh, I hope you're all having fun and get some time with your families. And don't give up the show. 